Greetings and welcome to Converging Streams, Interfaith Fellowship in Our Modern World. Our program is a production of the Muncie Interfaith Fellowship and the Unitarian Universalist Church of Muncie. This week's lesson is entitled, Expanding Our View of Christmas. Please welcome Rev. George Wolfe. Hello, and welcome to Converging Streams. Today, we are going to join all of those folks in our audience that are celebrating the Christian holiday of Christmas. And personally, I want to wish all of you who celebrate Christmas a very blessed Christmas this year. Now, of course, many of you who celebrate Christmas probably started preparing for the Christmas holiday several weeks ago. We notice when we drive through the towns and the streets, we see Christmas decorations up and we see people have their trees up, uh, their Christmas trees. You can see them through the windows of their uh, living room often. And you notice that starts to happen shortly after Thanksgiving. So many of you I know started celebrating Christmas or at least preparing for that great day in the Christian calendar several weeks ago. But you know, when I was uh, a lot younger, I had a mentor who was an Anglican priest. Actually, he was serving in an Episcopal church in the town where I grew up. He was from Canada, so he still considered himself an Anglican, even though it is technically the same communion or the same church in the Christian tradition. But his name was Father McElveen. And Father McElveen was kind of old-fashioned, I guess, because he insisted on celebrating Christmas the way it used to be celebrated. And what he meant by that was that he and his wife and his family waited until Christmas Eve before they would put up their Christmas tree and their Christmas decorations. And then they would leave their Christmas tree and their decorations up and celebrate for 12 full days. Because Christmas is not really one day on the Christmas calendar. It is a season of the year on the Christian calendar which lasts 12 days. I imagine you've all heard the song, The Twelve Days of Christmas. Well, it comes from that older tradition of waiting until Christmas Eve and celebrating it in a way that Father McElveen celebrated it even in the 1970s. Well, I think so many people, whether they be Christians and celebrate the sacred aspect of Christmas or whether they not be uh, so religious and celebrate Christmas more from a secular point of view, still have fallen in love with the holiday and simply can't wait to Christmas Eve before putting up their decorations. And I suppose, given the, the positive message of Christmas, I suppose there's nothing wrong with that, even though Father McElveen may have frowned a bit. At any rate, for today, what I wanted to do is talk about Christmas as this celebration of the birth of the divine into the world. And you know, People, some people don't realize this, but Christianity is not the only religion that believes in, that the divine can incarnate, that the infinite wisdom of the universe can become flesh and be born into the world. The other religion which believes it is Hinduism. According to Hindu tradition, there has been nine incarnations of the divine. And the leading incarnation of the divine, according to the Hindu view, is Krishna. And there's a book called the Bhagavatam, which is a great Indian epic, that contains many, many stories about Krishna, including the birth of Krishna. And what I discovered was that there are many similarities between the stories surrounding the birth of Krishna and the nativity story in the Christian Gospels. And I would just like to illustrate that today by reading 
both sections from the Christian Nativity and sections from the birth of Krishna, so you can appreciate the beauty and the similarity between these two traditions. Now let me begin by reading a passage from the Gospel of Luke, which is perhaps familiar to many of you who celebrate the sacred side of Christmas. This is first chapter of Luke, starting with verse 26. In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth, to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. And the virgin's name was Mary. And he came to her and said, Hail, O favored one, the Lord is with you. But she was greatly troubled at the saying and considered in her mind what sort of greeting this might be. And the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. And he will be great, and he will be called the Son of the Most High. Now, in the Hindu tradition, in the Bhagavatam, Krishna's mother was named Devaki, and Devaki's husband was Vasudeva. And the story of the birth of Krishna is described like this. The time was drawing near. Brahma, who is the creator deity in Hinduism, Mahadeva, who is the supreme angel or great angel, uh, comparable perhaps to Gabriel in the Christian story, and all the devas, devas are somewhat like angels in Hinduism, went to the presence of Devaki and stood in front of her with folded palms and praised the Lord. They then spoke to Devaki and said, You are a fortunate princess, since you will be the mother of the Lord himself. And this child, which is to be born, will be the savior of the world. That's from the Bhagavatam. And as you can see, there was an appearance to Devaki in the same way that there was an appearance to Mary to announce uh, the birth. Second reading, again, is from Luke in the Christian Gospels. And it's the second chapter, and it begins at verse 4. And Joseph also went up from Galilee, from the city of Nazareth to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David, to be enrolled with Mary, his betrothed, who was great with child. And while they were there, the time came for her to be delivered And she gave birth to her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling clothes and laid him in a manger because there was no place for them in the inn. And in that region there were shepherds out in the field keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them and the glory of the Lord shone around them and they were filled with fear. And the angel said to them, Be not afraid, for behold, I bring you good news of a great joy which will come to all the people. For to you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a babe wrapped in swaddling clothes and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of heavenly hosts praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest and on earth peace among men with whom he is well pleased. 
Now, the comparable section in the Bhagavatam from the Hindu tradition relating to the birth of Krishna sounds like this. The time was auspicious. It had the charm of all the six seasons. The planets and the stars were in the positions from where they showered peace and joy to the world. The four quarters were clear, and the star Rohini was in the ascent. The sky was clear and studded with stars, which were shining brightly. The waters in the river were clear and sweet. The lakes were filled with flowers, lotuses. The trees were covered with flowers. A gentle breeze was flowing, and it brought soft and intense scents of the flowers with it. The fires which were kindled by the Brahmins, now the Brahmins are the priestly caste in India, were burning without smoke, and an air of peace and tranquility pervaded the earth. The minds of men were happy for no reason. Only Kamsa was unhappy. Now Kamsa was the king at the time who became jealous of the baby Krishna. And we'll hear about Kamsa in the next reading. And Kamsa is somewhat the equivalent to Herod in the Christian story. Only Kamsa was unhappy. The devas that is, the angels, and the seers and prophets showered flowers on the earth. It was midnight, and Krishna, who is in the hearts of everyone, was born to Devaki, the wife of Vasudeva. Devaki gave birth to Krishna, like the east brings forth the glorious moon. And finally, the passage from the book of Matthew. Then Herod summoned the wise men secretly and ascertained from them what time the star appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem, saying, Go and search diligently for the child. And when you have found him, bring me word that I too may come and worship him. When they had heard the king, they went their way. And lo, the star, which they had seen in the east, went before them till it came to rest over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. And going into the house, they saw the child with Mary, his mother, and they fell down and worshipped him. And being warned in a dream not to return to Herod, they departed to their own country by another way. Now when they had departed, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream and said, Rise and take the child and his mother and flee to Egypt. And remain there until I tell you, for Herod is about to search for the child to destroy him. Then Herod, when he saw that he had been tricked by the wise men, was in a furious rage, and he sent and killed all the male children in Bethlehem. Now the comparable passage in the Bhagavatam related to Krishna's birth has Kamsa being advised to do the same thing, that is, to kill the children in the town where they believed Krishna may have been. It says, Kamsav's ministers, who were all haters of the devas, that is the angels, and who were all embodiments of ignorance and foolishness and pride, spoke with great passion and vehemence. The suggestions offered by them were profuse. They said, it is obvious that the child is kept somewhere secretly, most probably away from the city, maybe another city, a village in the suburbs, perhaps where the cowherds live. The sensible way to tackle the problem is to destroy all the children around us who are less than a year old. Kamsa thought that the time had come when he should act according to their advice. He decided to begin the killing of all the newborn children in the country.
Here, you see, you have what in Christianity is called the slaughter of the innocents. The same message is found in the Bhagavatam with regards to the birth of Krishna. Perhaps it is that when the divine manifests in the world, although in complete innocence and in complete truth, the nature of the ignorance in the world is such that it creates such great fear that it has to seek to destroy it. But it is all futile because, as it says in the Gospel of John, the darkness cannot overcome the light. I wish all of you who celebrate the sacred Christian holiday a very blessed Christmas. Now you'll remember from the readings from the Hindu tradition, Krishna was born at midnight. A similar legend exists in Christianity that Jesus was born at midnight. That's why we have midnight masses in the Catholic Church, for example. Because midnight represents the junction point between the past era and the future era, which the incarnation of the vine was ushering in. And so in the deep of the night, the ray of divine light shone upon the earth and became manifest in a little child, which reminds us of that beautiful, sacred Christmas carol, Silent Night. We're going to conclude with an excerpt from that beautiful carol. And as you listen, allow the divine presence to settle into your heart as you become closer and closer to God and ask that the peace of the Lord be born in your hearts. This is George Wolfe for Converging Streams. Thank you.